around for, I want to say hi, especially if you're joining us and you're kind of coming in halfway through a series. We're looking at the boy, book of 2 Corinthians, and, and we feel like this is a book for now, for us at this moment. It's amazing, this thing was written so long ago, and yet you read it, you're like, this, yeah, this is for today. This is, this is for me right now. And we're calling this series, Be the Church. We think that's Jesus' invitation and call to you. Would you be the church right now? And the question we're going to look at today is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And, and what I would just want to do to start is to ask you this question. Where do you go with your groaning? Where do you go with your groaning? You know, those physical aches and pains that you're just like, ah. And then maybe, depending on how much we feel them, those sometimes more deeply felt groans of, oh, what's, what am I going to do here? A guy called Steve Nicholson, a great friend of ours, says, Really, uh, as somebody who's interested in Jesus, the greatest thing you've got is what you do with your groaning. Can you suffer well? Do you go to the places that Jesus asks you to go when things seem meaningless? We're going to look at what the Corinthian church did with their groaning on the next slide. The Corinthian church, from the first letter of the Corinthians, they actually denied that as a person following Jesus, that they should have any groaning. They said, this isn't right, like this shouldn't be present in a person of faith. They said things like, already we have all we want, we are rich, we are kings, everything is permissible. And when they felt groaning inside of themselves, it led them to shun humility. They started clamoring over, hey, we're the best group. We follow Apollos, you only follow Paul, Uh we're better than you, or you only follow Peter. It started to divide people and separate, and division was what came out. As everyone said, we've got the most anointed leader. Secondly, groaning, when they felt pain and groaning, it led them to shun restrictions. They started reneging on marriage commitments. They started saying, hey, just do whatever you want sexually. Like, you know, we should just be able to enjoy ourselves. It removed all boundaries on sexuality, even on gender and on diet. Eat what you want, do what you want. Groaning led them to shun community. What they started to do is everyone just prioritized self-expression when they got together. This is me. This is me. And what that did is it caused chaos in community and crushed those particularly who lacked confidence. Does this sound familiar to you? I wonder. Like We're at a time where groaning really like a sense of there's something wrong with the world people respond to it with a sense of division what's wrong with the world is those who voted brexit what's wrong with the world is those who want us to remain what's wrong with the world is the conservatives the scum what's wrong with the world is labor those people who use words like scum to describe people like us people go with their groaning into division People go with their groaning into sexual license, what's been called the sexual revolution. Basically, it now says, do whatever you want with your body, whenever you want, whoever you want to do it with, as long as it's sort of over the age of consent, as long as it's kind of mutually uh, agreeable. And in those gray areas, well, oh, I don't know. An inequality and breakdown of community, just tragic inequality in our world. 
community broken down. This guy who's on this next slide, a, make, a guy called Mark Sayers, an Australian bloke, uh, he says this is a cultural moment where actually we're seeing something called Gnosticism being repackaged. Gnosticism was an ancient Greek philosophy. And there's three aspects to this. The first aspect is this all hail me. What you're being told now is that you are the main actor in your personal cosmic drama. You should achieve your best life, free from all groaning. Do it powered by your own smarts, what you're really good at, your own skills. Secondly, the world is inferior, he says. To escape this groaning-filled existence of the body, you must reject the mundane and the ordinary. Oh, if something's ordinary and mundane, oh, that's... Don't be average. Don't be average. Pursue beautiful design, use killer apps, adopt life hacks, and you're going to progress towards the greatest version of yourself. You recognize this? Third thing, he says, flee. I must reject any boundaries, definitions, or limits imposed on me, as they will perpetuate my groaning and prevent me from achieving my personal enlightenment. And this is a backing track that is in the church as much as it is in anybody else. We see within people who have maybe grown up in church, who think they are followers of Jesus, think they're forgiven for their sin for Jesus, just increasingly act this way. All hail me. I'm the main actor in my personal cosmic drama. I'll attend church when I fancy it. But don't hold me to the restriction of being there every week. Don't hold me to having to actually commit to community of other people. The, the, the increasing trend is of just the sense that we, f- we flee from anything that feels like it restricts us, anything that feels that mundane, anything that feels like it's ordinary. I must be free to achieve my best life. And the challenge, of course, is that people are ordinary. We're ordinary. And so we end up seeing a breakdown in relationships and in community, as much in the church as in anywhere else. So what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5? He first of all acknowledges groaning. He acknowledges, he really deliberately does this, it's shocking. He says, we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we'll have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. We grow weary, he says, in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, For we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, he says. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. So we're always confident even though now we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. There's just some phrases that Paul uses that are so helpful to acknowledge. Whoever you are, I don't know many of you, but I can guarantee that there will be times where you're like, I grow weary. It's helpful to acknowledge that. Paul acknowledges that. We groan and sigh. Have you been groaning? I've been groaning, haven't you? Like, yeah. Oh, man. 
these dying bodies, I feel like I've peaked physically. I just, that is not nice. We are not at home. We would rather be away. These things Paul says, he acknowledges, and actually, I don't know what, what you know of church, what you know of Christians, but you know you sometimes meet Christians and they kind of act like the Corinthians did, which is we deny, moan, we deny groaning, we deny there's a problem. A friend of mine, Ed, uh, we, we were both uh, going through university together and, and uh, during this time uh, he, he, he heard that his um, uncle had died and he was really sad about it. And something that he found really hard is that some key people around him acted like it wasn't a problem. They're like, you know, all's fine. He's gone to a better place. And he's like, but don't you feel, like just, it didn't seem right not to acknowledge the groaning involved in the loss of something really important to him. And actually the truth is that this kind of, in faith, you know, we're all okay. It's, un- it's not biblical. It's not what Paul does. It's not, it's not what Jesus calls us to. We acknowledge groaning. Do you acknowledge your groaning? Really, it's, it's helpful to do it. So helpful to do it. <laughs> Don't just like, you know, head down, plow on, stiff up a lip. That's not it. That's not it. Uh, you know, as somebody who... I, 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 I've at times struggled with things with mental health. And I understand that many of us... We, we have cultures where it's almost not acceptable to say that I have mental health problems. Particularly as a man, I understand particularly for Nigerian men, you must never say this. But that's not biblical, that's not what Jesus, that's not the gospel. The gospel is when we're groaning, we say, look, I'm, I'm in struggling. Secondly, when Paul groans, he goes to the future. He goes to the future. Have a look at this exactly same passage with different bits highlighted. Paul says, look, when we're groaning, when we're thinking, God, life isn't quite like I want it to be. He says, we will have an eternal body made for us by God himself. He's going to the future. We will have in the future an eternal body made for us by God himself. And he says, we want to put on our new bodies so that our dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. That's what the groaning is. I'm wanting the future now. I know my body is going to be filled with life by God. And I'm going to be at home with the Lord in the future. This sort of angst, this sense of, oh, I don't feel right. I feel like I'm in the wrong place. I'm not happy. This is actually your yearning for the future that God wants to give you and will give you. Do you understand? Does that make sense? So sometimes we kind of feel like Gnosticism says what you're yearning is you need to get it and look up and grab it. But Paul's saying it's in the future. You're going to get it in the future. Look to the future. And so this is what he says. Just playing this out. Next slide. He says, I am groaning. This is his thought process that he's trying to encourage you to follow through. I'm groaning. I'm not happy. Something's not right. It's Something's wrong. These groans confirm that God has prepared me for more. This groaning I'm feeling is actually almost like God himself groaning in me. Like he's put this in me. And then the thing is, well, that more is going to come when, on the day when Jesus returns to swallow me up into life. This groaning I'm feeling confirms what Jesus is going to come and do and give me in the future. And so my groaning now leads me to confidence in Jesus. That's what he's trying to get you to think. 
Every time you feel unhappy, you feel tired, you feel weary, you feel uh, sad, you're like, this actually confirms that I've been made for more. God's going to give me more in the future when Jesus returns. Therefore, now, the fact that I'm groaning, this confirms that what Jesus has done and said to me is true, and he was going to complete it. The Holy Spirit is the downposit of that. And so Paul says, to be the church is to groan towards obedience. This is just the tiny little bit he adds on, which is fascinating. He says, so we're all confident. We live by believing and not by seeing. Yes, we are fully confident. We'd rather be at home from these earthly bodies, for then we'll be at home with the Lord. And this is the crucial thing that he says is going to happen in the future. Whether we're here in the body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. For we all must stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Now, the reality of the future that Jesus will return and hold everybody to account is one of the fundamental, unchanging, always present truths in every New Testament letter. And Tom Wright, one of the greatest theologians in the world, says this is, the reali- this is what every single early Christian believed. And as I look back over my life, I think, do you know one thing I really regret? Is I've barely ever talked about this. Because we don't want to. We don't like this idea. But this is so fundamental to looking to the future. So what this does to the processes of Paul is I'm groaning. Groans confirm that God has prepared me for more. That more will come on the day when Jesus returns to swallow me up into life. So groaning leads me to confidence in Jesus that he will reward me for anything I do now that pleases him. So my groaning leads me to trying to please Jesus now. This is the fundamental process that he's trying to get you, if you're going to be the church, to really engage with and adopt. Because I'm in a process, I'm in a history, I'm in a story, judgment's coming in the future, all I want to do now is do what pleases Jesus. Does this make sense? And so what you can see is this played out against what the Corinthians were doing on the next slide. And the key difference is here, the groaning, they confirm God's prepared me for more. And the question is, well, now which way do you go? Well, you say, I want that more now. I want that more now. I need to escape from unprofitable commitments and experiment until I find that more right now. And if I do that, my groaning leads me to a life of leaping to whatever feels like a better life for me right now. Or will I look forward and think... Actually, I know Jesus is going to reward me. I know he's going to meet me. I know he's going to give me so I'm going to seek to please him right now. Think about when I, was a, when I was a bit younger and I was just at the stage of dating. Some of you might be at that stage of, you know, kind of trying to find somebody. And uh, Leslie, who's just had to step out temporarily, uh, was if, if in the early days, in the early days, if it was like, right, what day is it today? I'd look and... I'd be like, oh, I'm going to see Leslie tonight. And it'd be like, okay. Normally, I would just wear whatever, sling on a pair of jeans and a T-shirt. You know, my hair goes in all kinds of strange directions. She's changed me. But in those days, you know, whatever. Whatever was whatever. And then on those mornings, I'd be like, okay, I need to have a shower today. I need to have a shower today. Where's that gel? I might get my brother's gel and stick the gel on. 
need some, you know, put something on, smell nice. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Look in the cupboard, what's the best clothes? What am I doing? I'm living in hope that there will be a day in the future, a moment in the future when I'm going to meet face to face with the one whom I love. Not so that if I, if I come and meet with her, she's not going to be like, what are, you, what are you wearing those things for? Like, that's it, I'm off. I'm going to find another. No, it's not that. It's that yeah, I, I want to look good and smell good and be attractive to her because when, when I meet with her, then it will be like, oh, we'll have a great time. She may even give me a kissy. And this is what Paul is saying to the church. He's like, do you know the one who loves you, the one who's given himself for you, the one who's for you? He's saying he's going to come meet you face to face. And why don't you just put on a bit of deodorant? Why don't you just do your hair? Why don't you find your nicest clothes and put them on? And this morning, there's a groaning. You're like, you want to go. You want to be at that dinner. You want that. And you've got to go through work first. And isn't that just awful? But keep yourself ready. Don't let yourself fall apart like you know like do this stuff that's what it is to be the church and what just landing with this really what we see at the moment is probably two types of people this is Mark Sayers again just what he calls ghostly people People who inherently believe being the church should be easy. Or it shouldn't be this hard. Have you ever heard, said that to yourself or felt that? It shouldn't be this hard. Life shouldn't be this hard. Gnosticism says that. The gospel doesn't say that. When things do get hard or boring, you drop out. This is what Leslie and I call the bacon problem. In the early days of church planting, we had somebody we asked... They were on the bacon team. Just, we just had bacon sandwiches at our house. Somebody would come early and help cook bacon, and we'd then all eat bacon. We'd have a nice time together. And one day, the girl who was many cooking bacon, uh, she, she phoned and said, oh, my grandmother's just died. I'm a bit upset. And we said, why don't you come cook bacon anyway, and we can chat. And so she came and cooked bacon anyway, and we chatted, and she went home, and I got a phone call from her mother. How dare you? Expect somebody to cook bacon when they're sad. And this is not uncommon. Because in Gnosticism, as soon as you're groaning, you just drop any commitment. I need to sort myself out. But actually, (laughs) actually the gospel is like when things get hard or boring, we expect it to be hard. It reminds us of Jesus' grace. The one who, when he was mourning, fed 5,000. The one who came, when he returns, he's going to return and reward us for all things that are good. So we double down on obedience. People like Gnosticism, ghostly people, Mark says, says almost like a disembodied spirit. You're half present at work, always scrolling through. What's the latest job advert? Maybe, maybe I can find a new cappuccino machine to buy. You know, you're half present. You're half present in relationships. You know, your kids or your partner's talking to you and you're kind of like you're drifting off. You're like just somewhere else. You're just dreaming about, I want to be in this other place. Oh, I wonder where I could go, we could go on holiday. You're, just drift, you're half present. Half present in church because as soon as it's tough, you just drop. You engage on your terms when it suits you and spends most of the time and spend much of the time mentally absent even now. You know, who knows? And I find I battle with this all the time. Don't you? We just battle with this all the time. We're just 
spend a huge amounts of energy on our dreams, our desires, very little on the dreams and desires of others. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he's so full on on this. I mean, I kind of want to apologize, but I can't apologize because it's what he says. But he's like, you know, you Corinthians, you think you're rich, you think you're so good, you think you're doing it. Do you know what you are? You're like a clanging gong. You're like a clashing cymbal. Do you know what that means? Like, that's God's opinion of you. Like you're just an annoying noise. Would you stop? Love. Love, love is like, love people, be present, be present, be present, love the people. So the gospel people will spend huge amounts of energy on Jesus' dreams and Jesus' desire and very little on their own dreams and very little on their own desires. And at the return of Jesus, they hear, they receive an overwhelmingly beautiful and glorious reward. There's grace, of course. There's forgiveness, of course. Any time we're anyone on that side of the ghostly people, there's grace, there's invitation. But to be the church is to be these people on this side, gospel people. And if you think about it, which one would you rather date? The person who's there listening to you, talking to you, interested in you, or the one who's thinking about the next person they're going to take on a date? Well, there's just, you know, they've already decided they're on to the next one. Who would you rather employ? The person who's going to actually listen and do and work hard and try and be present? Or would you rather employ the person who you kind of like, well, they might do it or they might not. It depends if they fancy it. who Who would you rather be parented by? Would you rather be parented by somebody who's like, I'm for you through thick and thin, through better, through worse, for richer than poorer. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to make it all I can to do this for you. Or do you want to be the one who's like, oh, it's a bit tough. I think I'm just going to, you know, go off for a bit and maybe I'll come back. You know, who do you want to be parented by? Who do you want to do church with? Be the church is actually to be the salt and light of the world. Is to be those people that everybody wants to be parented by, that everybody wants to employ, that everybody wants to date. Because we are those people who are present, truly present, embodied, loving. So that's it. <laughs> it's full on this stuff in 2 Corinthians, isn't it? Sometimes I'll be like, whoa. But are we going to be real or not real? So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray for Jesus to come and bring his life and his love and his invitation to you. Some of you guys, you're trapped in this Gnostic thought. And others of you are not. You're in this gospel thinking and your Lord just wants to speak in your words right now the encouragement and the life and the hope. He wants to lavish his love and his grace on you. That you can be fully present and truly present in your life.